This week on Off the Crossbar, the Toronto Rock make two moves, one more shocking than the other. The Brampton Excelsiors have a massive fire sale that threw the entire MSL for a loop. No moves are made out west of any significance at the trade deadline. And the world is coming to BC as the U19 starts this week. All that and more on OTCB. What's going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud. Of course, my name is Teddy Jenner. Uh, you can get a hold of me here at the show two simple ways, unless you know where I live and you can come hang out on my balcony. It's good times. Uh, good bird watching, good people watching. Open invitation. Um, but you can easily email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at off the crossbar, there's an E on the end of cross. Among some other things that we will discuss this week, um, the nominees for Teammate of the Year were announced today on Tuesday. We'll recap some of the other awards that you may have missed from the National Cross League this week. It's the last couple days of full announcements, and then, of course, uh, one more next week. In case you missed it a couple weeks ago, John Grant Jr. was traded by the Denver Outlaws to the Ohio Machine in Major League Lacrosse. Um, Well, on Monday, uh, the Denver Outlaws were playing the Florida launch, and one of the announcers called John Grant Jr. Father Time and said he was slowing down the offense, so pretty much that's all the airtime I want to give that guy. What a maroon. (laughs) What an ignoramus. (laughs) But the big news story this week comes from the National Lacrosse League and the Toronto Rock making two big splashes. Uh, The most recent news uh, came out Tuesday and really not much of a surprise as the Toronto Rock did name Josh Sanderson as the assistant general manager to Jamie Dowick. Um, They also named Dan Teat as a scout and kept Rick Cleverly on as a scout. Now, as... You've heard me on this show before, and even when I was kind of talking with Josh Sanderson, um, he told me kind of while we weren't recording that interview that this move was coming, and it was logical. Everyone saw the writing on the wall that this was going to happen. I don't know um, if this... I would imagine that this is a, quote, interim role, even though they're not saying that. I just truly believe that it's not going to be long until Josh is the full-time general manager of the Toronto Rock. He knows everybody in that room. He knows um, everybody within the organization and outside the organization. He knows everybody within the league and outside the league. He has great connections coast to coast. And he's already the general manager of the Oakville Rock, which already boasts a number of Toronto Rock players. So that was sort of the not-so-surprising move. The surprising move was late last week when the alert came across my phone that said Toronto Rock trade for New England Black Wolves holdout Paul Rabel for, I think, a fourth-round or fifth-round pick. Which kind of set the lacrosse world and the Twitterverse into a bit of a frenzy because what does it mean? You know, we haven't seen Paul Rabel in a couple years when he was with Philadelphia. 
And then two years ago, along with a few other players, um, decided that for numerous reasons that they weren't going to play in the National Lacrosse League. Uh, at the time, many people thought that a lot of those Americans were holding out due to the fact that it was the upcoming World Field Lacrosse Championships in Denver, and they wanted to keep their field game on point and stay sharp. And a lot of people gave the American guys a lot of heat for that. And if that was the reason, then I can kind of agree with some of that heat. The Canadian guys didn't bail out, and look what happened. But that's not the point we're arguing. Um, one of the main reasons that many American field lacrosse players don't play, especially the ones that are major league lacrosse stars, is because of the overlap. And that overlap has kept a lot of people out because, you know, guys are loyal. And lacrosse players are very loyal. They want to give 100% to everybody as best they can. And yeah, sure, you know what? There are guys that play in both leagues. Canadians do it. Americans do it. I get it. It's a lot to put on a body. And there's not many guys doing it, especially, you know, playing the the box game and the MLL during the summer. Guys don't do it in the MLL because it's a professional contract and the MLL doesn't really like its players doing that, if at all. You know, you won't see guys pulling much double duty during the NLL season to go play an MLL game. I'm not sure if there's a stipulation in contracts where it says players can't do that. I, I thought I heard maybe somewhere that it was in the MLL, um, CBA, if you want to call it that. I, I don't know if there's a stipulation in either sort of player's operating manual that says, or contract, that says they can't play MLL and NLL at the same time. I don't know that. I just know that guys are opting not to play NLL and focus their time on MLL because they don't want to miss six games or seven games or eight games, whatever it may be. And I can completely get that. And I 100% support that logic. Why should you have to choose? There is 12 months of the year. Why can't we separate outdoor and indoor by four weeks? I know there are some people who would love to see the National Lacrosse League move away from winter and competing with hockey and everything like that and move to the summer. I don't see that happening anytime soon. I, I wouldn't mind it. You know, it would change the landscape of lacrosse wholeheartedly, and I am a firm believer that the landscape of this sport, especially the indoor version, truly needs to change. If it's going to grow, we have to streamline this beast. There is way too much too much difference, too much discrepancy. We need to streamline this beast. But until that happens, we have to find a way for the National Lacrosse League and Major League Lacrosse to come to an agreement, a cohesion, work together for crying out loud. If the National Lacrosse League is going to run from January to the second week of June or the first week of June, cool. Major League Lacrosse, why can't you start on July 4th? Why can't you run July to September? 
I get it. Again, I, there are logistics. It's summertime. People want to be enjoying their summer vacations and going on vacations and all this other stuff. I get it. However, if you want to be a professional sport and if lacrosse is going to be a dual hinged sport, for lack of a better term, then we have to find a way for the two leagues to coexist so that the best of the best of the best of the best can play both. And this isn't just a, a biased NLL thing. Like, there are a lot of Canadian guys that want to play MLL. Most opt not to because they want rather play summer ball, but at least this way it gives them an option to play both and a full season. Because one of the reasons Dane Smith said there wasn't going to be a conflict between um, his MLL work with Rochester, and which was going to be his first foray into the field game, really, and his time with the Six Nations Chiefs, was that the MLL was during the week and MSL was on the weekends. Like, those kind of can coexist a little bit, but here nor there. We're talking NLL, MLL. And Paul Rabel is a huge advocate of this because he wants to play indoors. He wants to. And people hate on the guy. Like, when... He was with the Stealth in San Jose when they first drafted him and he played under Chris Hall. He was very green. But a few years under Chris Hall and he became one of the best two-way players in the NLL. And then, like, pretty much 85% of the veterans in the National Lacrosse League want to do, they want to move closer to home. He didn't want to travel to Edmonton because of all the businesses that he had in the camps that he was running. He wanted to be based on the East Coast, and so he held out. And people tore him apart. He wasn't the first guy to ever do that in this league or any sport. It sucked. I think he would have loved playing for the Edmonton Rush. I think it would have done amazing things for that franchise. It turned out the better for them in the end. Really, because look at all the things that they got for Paul Rabel, essentially. But people just tore him apart for that move. And people still hate on the guy. And they still hate on him for not playing in 2014 for the field during the uh, year of the field across championship. I truly believe, and Paul Tutka said this, that he's like our generation's Casey Powell or this generation's Casey Powell. He played, and unlike Casey, Rabel had success in the early years of his career. But if the Toronto Rock, as this comes full circle, if the Toronto Rock can find a way to get Rabel in games, I this isn't a PR move. And the people keep saying, oh, well, if they can sell merchandise and they can get maybe get some more kids, this, has, this shouldn't have anything to do with that. This should be about getting one of the best natural athletes and lacrosse players in the world onto the floor. And if Dowick and Shooter and, to an extent, Colin Doyle, uh, who was with Rabel in San Jose that first year, who Rabel really learned a ton from, if they can get in his ear 
and find a way to make that happen and to get Rabel on the floor can't hurt, right? Can't hurt. And, you know, Rabel at the same time has to understand his role. He can't be a front door guy. He's not that style of player. He is a transition beast. And you know what? Yeah, it sucks because he wants to be the guy. He can still be the guy in transition and be a just a dominating force. And so when that alert came across and, and sent the Twitterverse flying, I was uh, I'm very interested to see how this plays out. Like I, I talked to Rabel and and you know we we talked at length about this whole uh, conflict of schedule thing and it makes sense. Like, I, I, I understand it. This is what Paul Rabel said um, on July 1st when the trade was made. Uh, it's four tweets consecutively. Although I didn't suit up for the New England Black Wolves, I'm very grateful for the competition and relationship built with the Wings. Uh, I'm very humbled and grateful to have been asked to play for such a historic organization like The Rock. Uh, the $20 million lacrosse facility shows the commitment to pro lacrosse our sports need as do their fans. The overlapping schedules of NLL and MLL means there are difficult choices ahead, hoping this changes in the future. And I truly believe that the NLL and the MLL, uh, Jake Steinfeld, Nick Sakevich, have to get into a room and find a way for the two to coexist. Because we're like twin brothers who are just fighting with each other instead of working with each other to make each other great. So hopefully, some good comes of this. And we can get Paul Rabel in a Toronto Rock jersey. Or who knows? Maybe The Rock are holding on to him. And this has been obviously a theory that some fans have pointed out on the boards. Is that maybe it's trade bait. Maybe Dowick picked him up for a fifth rounder, which was a steal even if he can't get him to play, right? And then maybe in two years, when they still hold on to his rights, there's an expansion team in the U.S. And Dowick says, hey, man, guess what? I got Paul Rabel just sitting here. You want him? Perfect. Let's make a deal. So that could very well be an option that is truly, truly viable. Because, you know what, if you're not going to get him to play, it doesn't, literally, it costs him a fifth rounder. Like, that means nothing. So if they can get him to play, awesome. If they can't get him to play, then maybe they truly are just going to use him as bait. And a chance to trade him and get those sought-after draft picks and young players that they truly do need because they are one of the oldest teams in the league. Uh, segue time from one of the oldest teams in the National Lacrosse League to, unfortunately, one of the not-so-good teams in major series lacrosse, the Brampton Excelsiors. If you may have missed the news um, on Friday, which was the trade deadline um, for both East and West leagues, 
The Excelsiors um, went fire sailing, and they sent Chris Corbeil and Kyle Rubish to the Brooklyn Redmen, uh, the Dawson brothers, Paul and Dan, to the Chiefs, and Dylan Evans to the Peterborough Lakers. Now, most of those deals, they were able to gain players back. Um, some of the deals even involved some cash. But everybody looked at this deal and or these deals as a whole and were just like mind blown. And I was totally taken aback too. Like that is an incredible depth and talented part of your roster that you're shipping away. And it got people asking, and this is always a topic that comes around, especially uh, in lacrosse, especially senior lacrosse, when trades like these happen. And the word of the day is rental. And everybody wants to know, are these rental players? Are those guys just going to these teams and never coming back? Or are they just going to go get some experience and come back? Well, I wouldn't say they're going to go experience because um, almost everybody that I named has won a championship of some sort, man or NLL. Actually, they've all won NLL titles. But what it is is loyalty and rewarding that loyalty. And I talked about loyalty earlier when I was talking about uh, the Rabel situation and and players wanting to give 100% to their pro teams. Well, all five of those guys, Corbeil, Rubish, Dawson Times 2, and Dylan Evans, um, are, are loyal to a fault to that organization in the Brooklyn Redmen. And Paul Stewart and and his organization group felt that, you know, they weren't having a good year, obviously. However, they wanted to repay that loyalty, and the Brooklyn, uh, case in point, the Brooklyn Redmen actually approached the Excelsiors with permission to talk to Corbeil and Rubish. Now, they have, obviously, as everybody knows, an incredible relationship built with Derek Keenan, most notably with their time with the Saskatchewan Rush, nay, the Edmonton Rush. And when I spoke with Paul Stewart, he said it, it didn't take long for them to make that decision to say, hey, you know what? This is an opportunity for them to go and be with one of the greatest lacrosse minds, a person that he respects, a person that everybody in the lacrosse world respects. And as he said, Derek Keenan is Chris Corbeil's biggest lacrosse influence. And so he felt that that was a move that he'd be okay with making. They got some good players in return. And they got younger. And yeah, they lose arguably the two best defensemen in lacrosse right now. They lose Dan Dawson and and Paul Dawson to the Chiefs. Again, repaying loyalty. Because including Dylan Evans, all of those guys have worn the maroon and gold of Brampton um, proudly and waved the flag. And so when the deals were made, people were like, I can't believe what Paul's doing and what 
Zen's doing and what, what that organization is doing just gutting this once storied franchise. Well, you have to kind of read between some of the lines. Now, nobody has gone on record to say that they are rental players. Because, as I am led to believe, rental players aren't allowed to return in the same calendar year. However, there might be some underlying notes here. It sounds like Paul Stewart is probably going to re-sign as coach of the Excelsiors. That shows a lot of faith in him. Um, that goes against what people are saying is that Paul Stewart doesn't know what he's doing and he's ruined a once great franchise. And so it makes you think, why would they re why would they bring him back if they didn't have a future for him to build with? Um, again, everyone says, you know, everyone's saying that they're not rentals. But something tells me, something tells me that when all is said and done, those guys might come back to the old B.E. Celsius. Oh, wait, this just in from the breaking news desk. It turns out that there was a bit of a rebuttal from somebody on Twitter that might have connections to the Excelsior's organization that just might know a thing or two. Um, Jamie Dowick was very anti these moves that Brampton made, and he was very vocal about it on Twitter. And he said, based on what the Excels traded away, I can only assume they're stacked with young talent moving forward. Hashtag doubt it. Hashtag Puerto Rican sandwiches. Now, I don't really know what that is. However, uh, the tweet that makes this so much more the interesting is that the Brampton Junior A Twitter account tweets, all players traded away return, dot, 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 next year. So that kind of sounds like rentals to me. So I guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see. However, things are heating up in the old MSL. Funny enough, two days after those trades were made, uh, gutting Brampton, uh, they had to play Peterborough, and they were fairly short-staffed. 12 runners they had. That's right, 12 runners. Oh, no, 11. They only dressed one goaltender. Ha! <laughs> So 13, that's great math, Ted. 12 plus 1 is 11. Um, 13 runners, one goalie, and they took Peterborough into deep water and were up 8-4 before losing 9-8 in the third period. Peterborough, still one of the teams to beat out east. Actually, they are the team to beat out east. Uh, nine and two for 18 points. Oakville sits in second, tied with Six Nations. Oakville played one more game, seven and four. Six Nations, seven and three. Brooklyn is six, three and one. Coburg is one, nine and one. Their lone win coming over Brampton. And the Excelsiors are one and ten. And a quick look at the MSL scoring race. Uh, Sean Evans still running away with things. He has a 20 point lead on Stefan LeBlanc. 
Uh, Evie has 65 points, 19 goals, 46 assists. LeBlanc, four, uh, 45 points, 17 goals, 28 assists, followed by Jammer, Mike Burke, and Johnny Palace. That rounds out your top five. Out West, it was a very quiet uh, roster freeze slash trade deadline. Um, really only one move. The Victoria Shamrocks picked up Doug Langlois from the Nanaimo Timmerman. It's not really a move of any significance. It's a bit of a depth move for the Shamrocks. Um, Langlois was the oldest standing member of the team, and he now becomes a member of the Victoria Shamrocks. Um, but this brings up another argument, and I want to get through this quick because we have a, a three big in, or three interviews to get to, um, and still plenty to talk about. Um, you look at what happened in Ontario. Like you had the three of the top four teams just improved: Six Nations, Peterborough, and Brooklyn. All improved because a team, the bottom of the standings, felt that they could send some players away, get some players in return, build for the future, and repay some loyalty and, and send some guys on a bit of a hunt for Man Cup. That doesn't happen out West. It happens in junior, um, where you'll see teams, um, you know, really busy at the deadline. Look what Delta did. Uh, look what Coquitlam did. Look what New West has done in the past. Um, and, and, and picking up guys from all over the league and poaching guys from all over the league. Heck, even Okotoks in the Rocky Mountain League is doing it, and they picked up a couple BC kids as well. But it doesn't happen in the WLA. And the main reason is because there are no quote-unquote rentals. But you also have to wonder, like, well, maybe that's, you know, Maybe that's why Ontario continually wins is because they keep stacking teams. Well, yeah, that's exactly one of the major reasons why it happens. So um, I would, you know, the, the WLA, you know, the, the, there is so much inner fighting amongst the WLA Board of Governors. Look at, you know, the votes that happened for the, um, the new import rule, the votes that happened against Maple Ridge this year. Uh, it's always people banding against each other. It's never people building each other up. And no wonder the West has won one man cup in a decade. The East, when it comes down to it, are about the East. And they don't want anybody else to win except an Eastern team. Out West, if Victoria's making a run for it or M Maple Ridge or whoever it is, no one's even putting out a hand. To help the front runner. No one's putting out a hand to help the second place team try to knock the front runner off. If there were rentals and there was ways guys could go spend a year or two with the club, then come back. It's gotta change because the West is just gonna keep being left behind. Um so that was the only move of any significance, of any importance to relate to from the Western Lacrosse Association. Uh, they took Canada Day off. There were no games at all this weekend. Things get going uh, Tuesday night when Nanaimo is in Burnaby. Victoria visits Langley on Wednesday. Coquitlam heads to New West on Thursday. The Salmon Bellies are the new number one team in BC as they continue on a torrid pace. Uh, also Friday night, Coquitlam heads across the island to take on the Shamrocks. Saturday night, Maple Ridge visits Langley. And then on Sunday, 
uh, the Berards and T-Men will do a back-to-back home-and-home series, and they will play at Frank Crane in Nanaimo. But as mentioned off the top of the show, it is under-19 time, and things get going on Thursday night. Uh, everything will get going with the opening ceremonies out at Town Center Field in Coquitlam. And then you couldn't ask for a better game to start the tournament as Team Canada will take on Team USA in the marquee preliminary round matchup. And it's the first game out of the gate. The first game out of the gate. Uh, A lot of teams have been here for a while. Um, Team Canada, ironically was the last team to completely arrive in BC. And they pretty much all got in Tuesday night. But a lot of the other teams were here over the weekend playing exhibition games. Uh, Team USA showed up uh, late Sunday, early Monday. Uh, So everyone's getting out here early and acclimatizing and adjusting, except for Team Canada, really. Because, like I said, they didn't all get into BC and to Coquitlam until, like, Tuesday, today. Most of the guys were in yesterday, a couple guys showing in late, but you know, when you have to play Thursday and you haven't really been together as a group for a long time, that kind of worries me. Um, one guy that's getting very little sleep is the man who is the head of this tournament. Um, Coquitlam hosted the U19s two tournaments ago, and they thought it was such a raving success that they should bring it back. And Cliff Paskus joins us on the show now. Now, Cliff, um, I'm sure you're stressing out, but are you getting any sleep? Yeah, just a little. Running around like a chicken with my head cut off is what it's running <laughs> out to. Uh, pretty much everything is set to go, though. Uh, every, all teams are starting to come into town, and, and everything is underway. Yeah, teams are... I think the last team arrives today at uh, Team Canada, I believe. But all the other mm-hmm. teams are here, and they've been out practicing for the last couple of days. Obviously, the excitement's building with everybody. Um, what do you expect from the next uh, 12 to 14 days, um, just from lacrosse-wise to attendance-wise? How are things looking? Things are looking good. Uh, I'm expecting to see a lot of top-quality lacrosse. Mm-hmm. I've seen what I've seen so far is I've seen a bunch of um, you know young guys come in with their with their national jersey beaming with pride and they're just anxious to get out there and play and represent their country it's it's just a an awesome thing to see and fan wise how are ticket sales going ticket sales are good um we were actually ahead of where we expected to be with ticket sales they're they're uh they're still going well and uh and just to note that the tournament package tickets will uh are on sale now till the midnight july 6th and then from then on they're only going to be sold on a walk-up basis. Okay. Um, and if anybody is planning on seeing you know, the full tournament, it, the better value is to buy the pass in advance. And, and more can, they can do that online? They can do that online at our website, which is www.2016worldlax.com. Okay, perfect. And do you think a, a lot of people going for that option, just, it just seems like a better better buy? If they're here for the able to see the whole tournament, it's definitely a better buy. It it'd probably yeah, save you fifty yeah. percent. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. what was the um, the big selling point for for you and the group that put this together to bring the World Under 19 back to Coquitlam? Because it was here, uh, what uh, three tournaments ago? 
two tournaments, two thousand two tournaments ago. Two thousand. And what was the deciding factor to bring it back? Um, it was actually a really great experience in two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I got involved kind of on a side with a national tournament that was held here uh, back in two thousand eleven, I think two thousand twelve. Right. And it kind of got the bug again, and I uh, just asked a few people if they'd be interested in trying it again, and uh, and they were on board right away, and uh, just an exciting thing to be a part of. Um, nine, sorry, fourteen teams uh, from all over the world are are coming. Was it hard? To, did you have to turn any teams away, or or was this the amount of teams that kind of applied? Uh, well, we don't turn any away. Uh, That's this is, uh, yeah, really. Um, so they just have to be um, members in good standing with the Federation of International Lacrosse, right? And um, and they're eligible to uh, to um, participate. Some of the teams that are that are, you know are developing and and this is their first time or whatever, they get a little bit of leeway uh, and yeah. they're granted yeah. some dispensation so they can bring players up to 21 years old. Right. Uh, but they're only allowed to do that for two tournaments, and then they have to go uh, under the same guidelines as everybody else. Interesting. But, um, yeah. But um, we're excited. Uh, Hong Kong, Taiwan, China, Israel, Mexico, their first time ever yeah. uh, yeah. at a U19 event. And, uh, you know, I've met some of the Mexican boys, and they're just they're just stoked to be here. Um, so, so, so let me get this clear. So, some of these teams that are first timers are allowed to have kids that are under twenty-one on their on their team. They have to. They're they're allowed to have. Uh, there's, there's a certain number, right? Maximum number they're allowed to have, but they have to apply to the FIL, the federation, yeah, for yep. permission, and oh, okay. uh, and then they're allowed to. If they're granted, then they're allowed to um, awesome. bolster their roster. A lot of these countries, a lot of these countries, don't really have a. Um, a youth lacrosse program. Right. They're yeah. starting to develop them. So in order to get the numbers to get established, they get a little bit of leeway on the uh, on the entry. That's pretty. I like I like that. It just gets more kids playing, gives them more international experience, and at the, at the same time, uh, lifelong memories that all these kids are going to walk away with. Oh, and that's that's one of our goals is to leave everybody with something like that. Yeah. Uh, are you having a lot of people volunteering? Are people still able to volunteer, things like that? We have uh, a lot of volunteers, but we're still taking uh, – we're still glad to have anybody on board that, that wants to help. Awesome. And if people want to help, uh, how can they get get a hold of you? Yeah, once again, they can go to our website and uh, just click on the volunteer link mm-hmm. and uh, and go from there. Uh, the opening ceremonies gets going uh, Thursday night. Um, any big plans or just a, a nice, succinct opening and then the big game, Candy USA? Yeah, it's going to be a – it's going – you know, it's not a huge – it's going to be a nice opening ceremony. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some uh, – actually some traditional entertainment lined up, and it's going to be a nice opening ceremony. Awesome. Uh, and then everybody's looking forward to that kickoff game. Sure. Yeah. You know, Yeah. Um, and then, uh, obviously, the big news for people who can't get their uh, webcast with uh, Sport Canada, SportsCanada.tv, a uh, company that's uh, going to be doing all the webcasts for you. Um, was that something hard to get lined up, or was it sort of a natural partnership? No, it. Uh, we talked to a few people, but they actually uh, came forward with the best proposal, and I think that they're they're going to do a great job for us. Um, we were actually pretty excited about having them on board. 
And, and just like if you're buying tickets to go to the games, is there going to be a, a package for people to buy games in bulk on webcast? Yeah, people, you'll have the opportunity. I believe um, you can buy the whole event, and I believe yeah. the cost is $45. Oh, wow. Not or you can buy, a, yeah, you, or you can buy per day, which is uh, $10, I believe, per day, wow. which is probably four or five games. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, awesome. Including the Blue Division game, which is, the we know, the top tier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you, what are you most excited about? You know, obviously as uh, being one of the head chairs of this group that, that's brought this all together, and, and once kind of the tournament gets going, a lot of the hard work is done. But um, what are you looking forward to most over the next two weeks? Actually, I get I get excited watching the watching the athletes. Mm-hmm. That you know the excitement that they that they have for being here and playing, and and that that's that's sort of what I I get out of this, and uh, I, I that's my thing. Well, it's been a few years of planning, preparation. It's all going to come down to Thursday night and the next 10 days after that. Uh, Cliff, I appreciate you giving us some time, and congratulations on all the success, and we hope it will be a fantastic U19 tournament. I'm sure it will. Thanks for the opportunity to come on board with you. There he is. That's Cliff Paskus, the director and chair of the World Under-19 Games that are being held out at Town Centre in Coquitlam. Again, the website, 2016worldlax.com. You can go there for all the information, schedules, rosters. Uh, If you want to volunteer, you can go there. Um, But also, uh, there's a link on there for the webcast. And I've already had a lot of people uh, ask me about this. Uh, I know, Dylan Ward, you're craving for some field lacrosse action, so don't worry. Uh, You'll be able to watch the next U in the next few days. Uh, The website is sportscanada.tv. They will have a link for all the games. And as you heard Cliff say, um, if you can buy just the whole tournament for $45, that's probably a better deal than buying each day for $10. I'm no math major, but that kind of makes a little bit of sense to me. Um, $45 gets you every single game. It's a pretty good deal. As I said earlier, uh, after the opening ceremonies on Thursday night, uh, the big game that everyone's going to be keeping an eye on because it is what everybody thinks will be the gold medal final. Um, It's been that way for the last few years. It is Canada v. USA, and it will be one heck of a matchup. And not only is it going to be an incredible matchup on the field between the two teams, but it's going to be a fantastic chess matchup between the two uh, head coaches. Both good friends of mine. Uh, One is the head coach at St. John's University. He hails from Edmonton, Alberta. The other is the head coach at the Ohio State University and calls Kennemuck, Maine as his hometown. I'm speaking of Taylor Ray and Nick Myers. We will get to Nick in a moment, but let's start with the hometown Canadian squad. And first up to bat is Taylor Ray. Now, Taylor has some history out West. He was a part of the vaunted Burnaby Lakers dynasty in the late 90s. He played some WLA for the Coquitlam Adnacks. And you know what? He's a pretty darn good lacrosse player in his own right. Um, He has worked his way up the ranks, started at Queens, and now he's at St. John's. And now he's the head coach of the Canadian Junior Program. But it's been a while since he's been out West, and now that he is finally here, he's getting himself acclimated. So welcome to the show, Taylor. When was the last time you were in BC? I don't know. (laughs) It's been a few years, for sure. Did you miss, uh, you you had some time out here playing uh, 
in the junior and then WA. You enjoyed your time out here? Oh, yeah, it was awesome. Some of the fondest summers of my life, most definitely. And uh, hopefully uh, this summer will be a fun one for you. Uh, how's the preparation going for Team Canada ahead of uh, the tournament and your opening game against the U.S. on the 7th? Uh, it's going well. You know, we we haven't we haven't done a whole lot of preparation. This will yeah. be the first time we get the team, you know, the team of, uh, you know, the first time we get our sort of final roster together mm-hmm. will be uh, will be tonight since uh, since we had the 36 man group in uh, in Florida, right. which uh, you know we got a lot of work to do over the uh, the next uh, four days to get ready for Thursday night, but. You know, this tournament is, you know, one of those ones where that's that's kind of to be expected. You know, you're not going to be ready for every situation that comes about in your opening game of the round robin. You got to use the use the tournament to to figure out your team and you know tinker with your lineup and yeah. player combinations and figure out what's going to work for this group and you know how you want to play and what your strengths are going to be. So. Some of that will be sort of built into the uh, built into the tournament. Do you think it helps or hurts that you guys play the U.S. right off the bat? Um, I think it, from a player standpoint, it's exciting to to start with that game. Yeah. I almost would rather play it earlier. You know, t- I don't want to. I don't want to say anything that's going to be you know like <laughs> locker room material. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> The honest truth is we expect to play them more than once in this tournament. And so it's hard to beat a team twice in a short mm-hmm. period of time. So, yeah. you know, you'd rather have those games spread out a little bit, I think. And, you know, the last, uh, you know, the last time around we, we were lucky to win the round robin game and came up yeah. short in the championship. So, you know, it doesn't really it doesn't really matter what happens in the round robin. You just hope mm-hmm. that you get to the championship game and you play your best. But for the players to to start the tournament with, you know, an exciting game like that is a lot of fun. The U.S. has shown some chinks in their armor uh, last year, and you know, building up to this tournament, and especially with the success the men's and women's team have been having against the U.S. in the field game, is it starting to become uh, the the under nineteen time to to take that next step and, and dethrone the Americans is it is it something that weighs on these kids you think uh, might weigh on uh, it might weigh on them I don't really know you know mm-hmm. I think that, that they are the clear cut favorite nobody else has ever won the championship at yeah. at this level you know even on the men's side it, it wasn't it wasn't that long before Canada kind of had that upset win in 78 and then, you know, it took a long time to get back there again, but we've yeah. done a, a good job at the men's level. And, you know, it, the thing that I feel like with the U19s and uh, I feel like our players are just starting to become the players that they're going to be. And that's right. probably true for the, for the, the U S team and for all these other teams in the tournament. But, you know, I look at, I look at the guys who, who helped, you know, or who play on the men's national team, and so many of them are 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 different players and different athletes than they were when they when they were 18 or 19 years old. You know, yeah. you go through four years of playing college lacrosse and learning the game and training at a high level, and 
you know, for some of them that have been doing that at the pro level. So you kind of know exactly what, you, what you've what got when you pick those teams in terms yeah. of the players. They are what they are. And with the U19 players, um, you know, they're still developing, like, while you go through the tryouts. You know, we started mm-hmm. the tryouts almost a year ago, and there's a lot of change in these guys over that over that time period. So, Absolutely. you know, there's more unknown at the at the player level, yeah. which I think makes this tournament a little bit more unpredictable. Um, but I, uh, it, it's, it's always fun to see kind of who emerges as the leaders on your team and who emerges mm-hmm. as like, you know, the, the go-to guys over the course of the tournament. Who are the guys that, you know, right now, who's your leadership group right now? Um, don't really know. Uh, <laughs> I know who some of the, I know who some of the, the best players on our team are going to be. I obviously look at a guy like, like Jeff Teat and, uh, yeah. Ethan Walker, even though he's younger, um, those guys have played at a really high level and have done a great job. Um, you know, defensively, uh, we have a, uh, shit, I can't remember his first name, a kid named Henrik. Uh, who's going to Ohio State? Who, Jeffrey uh, Henrik, yeah. Who I think, yeah, Jeffrey Henrik, who I think will be, uh, um, you know, he he showed some good leadership qualities in in January and throughout the tryouts. He's a pretty serious customer, and yeah. you know, a heck of a defenseman. So, you know, we'll, we'll we'll sort of figure that out over the next four days as the as we get around the guys, and we, you know, we'll have five practices before before we play. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll we'll get to know their personalities a little bit more. It, it, it's it's kind of crazy. Like in January, we went down to Florida hoping that we would get, you know, a practice in and then a practice and kind of a scrimmage with Denver and then play the game. And mm-hmm. because of the weather, when we were down there, we didn't really get to do much of anything except go down and play. We had a short 45-minute practice the night when everyone got in. But yeah. it was kind of uh, – um, it was kind of – a quick practice and then we got rained out for the evening and the second practice. So we haven't spent that much time with our guys to figure out their personalities and, you know, who, who, who some of the leaders are going to be. Yeah. What, what do you like about Marshall King? You know, he's a Victoria guy, so I know him from a junior, yeah. from a junior stage and, and yep. you know, obviously he's Jesse's younger brother and so he comes with a bit of an aim to him, but what did you like about uh, his play that allowed him to be a representative for team Canada? Well, I think the thing that sticks out the most with Marshall is his athleticism. You know, he's yeah. uh, he's a big kid. He's not like a, a a big, sick kid, but he's a big, fast athlete. Um, he shoots the ball well. He's a really smart player off ball. Um, and he's got a year of Division One lacrosse under his belt. You know, he played at Drexel this spring, and mm-hmm. we actually played against them at St. Joe's. And um, so I saw him a bunch this spring, and. He's only he's only gotten better and more confident. So yeah, um, I I see him as a guy who could emerge as a leader on the team. You talk about the Div- Division One aspect of a lot of these kids, and you know you were a guy that played D one, um, and that number is growing every year. That can only help Canada lacrosse in the future. But how, is it just incredible to see the number of Canadian kids down there now? It is, it is, and they're everywhere. You yeah. know. Uh, from all 70 Division One teams to I don't even know how many Division Two teams there are. There's probably about 70 who who recruit Canadians heavily, and and even mm-hmm. at the Division Three schools, uh, you know where 
they, they don't give athletic scholarships, but they have academic aid and need-based financial aid, and mm-hmm. there's tons of opportunity at the 230-some Division three schools. So it really is amazing how many players are down there making an impact. And, and it just and it only makes your team better because you have those kids playing at a high level, and especially against a lot of the top level American guys as well, because then that builds yeah. familiarity with some guys. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, again, one of the one of the things that makes the U nineteen tournament so difficult is there are tons of players who just mm-hmm. missed the age cutoff. Right. You know, so like on our team, I think we have five guys with college experience. There yeah. may have been, you know, 10 or 15 that were in the total player pool uh, that we selected. And there was a bunch more who were like a month or two too old. Um, so, you know, there's lots of guys that are going to play in college on our team next year. Like I said, I think there's five guys who are in college right now. Yeah. Another guy who I think had a great year in college who could be a, you know, a real leader for our team is uh, Clark Peterson. Right. He uh, he played at Cornell this year. I think he played on their first midfield. Um, you know, he played at the Hill for Brody, and you know he's one of Brody's like all-time favorite guys. Um, yeah, just a just a utility guy who does a little bit of everything: offense, defense, face off wings. You know, leadership. He's uh, he's a mature kid who uh, who I think will be a leader for us too. Did you play U19 for Team Canada? I can't remember if you made that year. I did. Yeah, yeah. Was that, was that Australia? It was. Yeah, a bunch, bunch of guys on that team too. Yeah, what do you remember about that trip and your experience as a as a kid playing U19? Oh, it's one, it was one of the like first great lacrosse experience I've had. You know, yeah. um, a great group of guys, um, terrific coaching staff. Darren Fridge and Scott Browning and Chris Sanderson were mm-hmm. were coaching the team. Um, Fridgey's actually helping out. He was a Western scout for us with this yep. this team. And and uh, Scott Browning was an assistant coach in 2012 when we went to when we went to Finland. So mm-hmm. kind of interesting and, to see things come full circle like that. But it was an amazing trip. And uh, you know, it, whenever you're around great players and great people, you you get better. And so, yeah. you know, to me, that was right before I went down to uh, went down to school. And, you know, I was – I wouldn't say I was a young guy on the team, but I was a year younger than a lot of our best players. You know, the Ryan Wards and the Blaine Mannings and, uh, you know, those those guys who were, who were right – they were 19 years old at the time of the tournament. Yeah. Um, so you, uh, you try and soak it all in and taking as much from those guys and from the coaching staff and, you know, it kind of is like a – springboard to uh to college in a lot of ways that springboard is going to help a lot of his kids uh, on that team canada squad get ready for their first real experience of college the canadian team doesn't have a lot of kids already in d1 programs they have a lot of kids committed to d1 programs which is great but conversely the american team of 25 guys with two alternates so 23 plus two um 10 of their guys are just committed. That means the other 13 slash 15 are already in D1 programs. So there might be a little bit of more experience on the U.S. side, but playing on Canadian home soil, Canadians, some people, think might have an advantage. However, 
Nick Myers is not one of those people. Uh, he believes soundly in his group, and he's had his group out in the Pacific Northwest for a few days already, getting acclimated to West Coast lifestyle. He is the head coach at The Ohio State University. He has seen a numerous amount of not just Canadians, but BC kids head down south to play for him. And he is the head coach of the seven-time defending World Under-19 Field Across Champions, Team USA. It's been a while since we've chatted, Nick. Uh, welcome back, West. How the heck are you? I'm doing well yourself. I'm good, man. How's uh, how's the West Coast life treating you so far? <laughs> it's been great. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we're, we're getting settled in. We're we're here in Washington. And nice dormitories. Feels great. Uh, people been good to us. So, yeah, it's been good. You, uh, when did you guys get in town? Let's see. We got in town uh, Saturday, Saturday. Oh, nice. So you guys are here. You're plenty in time. Plenty of time to get adjusted to everything and, and get yourself sorted out. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. We've had two practices, and yeah, another one scheduled for tomorrow. And then we'll head over the border tomorrow afternoon. And yeah. Got a uh, you know meeting first thing Wednesday morning. You know, we turn the roster and all that, and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, opener Thursday night. So, what's the biggest challenge for for you as a head coach to get this group together as one unit? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think um, you start with the people. You know, I believe you win with people, and I think that you know when I had the opportunity to take this this just you know this challenge on, if you will, uh, the first thing you want to do is, is assemble yourself with the right staff and. You know, I think that's critical. We, we got some really, really good people involved, team, and with that, I think you have to make sure you're on the same page with your your coaching staff, your support staff, your trainers, etc. Uh, so that's number one, and, and number two. From there, it's just creating a consistent message every time we're together. You know, and that goes mm-hmm. back to the first camp that we had last June. Uh, even with 100 plus kids, you know, it was very clear. Hey, what does a national team player look like? Yeah. Um, in respect to you know expectations, the standard. And we've been pretty consistent with that messaging. You know, it's easy to get talked up, you know, to get talking about, you know, winning in games in the U.S., Canada, Iroquois, et cetera. And I think what we've tried to really focus our men on is how do we become the best version of ourselves? And, you know, we are confident that at the end of the day, the only thing that can beat us is us. And I think yeah. that's been our message to these kids is let's focus less about what everyone else is talking about and let's worry about what's it going to take to get guys on the same page? What's it going to mm-hmm. take guys to really make the type of commitment they're going to have to make um, to really be humbled by this, this challenge. And I think that that led right into why I scheduled. I, mean, I had a job within 48 hours of having the job. I was on the phone with Brody and Dave Huntley and said, listen, I want to play you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do we make it work? You know, yeah. and I just felt like that was so important for our kids um, to, to understand what they were up against. And you can say it to your blue in the face, but I don't think that, they truly have an appreciation. Um, so that was great. You know, we had the hill scrimmage, and mm-hmm. then we had the exhibition with, with the guys in January. And I think going over the border on Wednesday, these men realize the challenge that lies ahead, and it really allows you to step back and, you know, like you said, focus on focus on us and, and just mm-hmm. getting these. It's not an Ohio State or Virginia Hopkins thing. Yeah, It's not a Philly, Baltimore, Long Island thing. It's, it's a Team USA thing. You know, yeah. and I think we're as close to that as we've been. You uh, you mentioned that little video that Lacrosse Magazine had out about how important it is of uh, and the pride you take when you put on that jersey and you wear that USA logo. What does it mean to you as a coach to be the leader of these young men? 
you know, I think it's hard to put that into words. You know, I think for me, again, it's very humbling. Um, and I think we've, we really tried to press upon that to our to our men as well, that it's a, it's a, it's a responsibility we all have. Uh, here it is on Independence Day for, for us yeah. on the 4th of July. Um, you know, we had a conversation this morning at our team meeting about that and how grateful we are for, for the blessings that we have. And, you know, I think furthermore, you look at the, the, the men, you know, Coach Appel, uh, Coach Flynn, you know, all the way back, um, you know, the, the, the men that have been involved in these teams, the coaches, yeah. and to be associated with that group, um, you know, it, it, it is very it's very humbling. You know, I guess that's yeah. the best way to put it. I think that it comes with a degree of responsibility. I knew when I signed up for it, you know, there was going to be challenges and bumps along the road. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, making these decisions and getting down to 23 was, was grueling. Yeah, I bet. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, the men are what make the experience all worthwhile. You know, it's, it's hard to be away from Ohio State, hard to be away from yeah. family when I'm away as much as I am. But, you know, being around this group of guys and, and being around some elite coaches is, is really what makes it special. And I think when we hear that anthem on Thursday night, it'll really hit home. I bet. Uh, what's the biggest challenge and the biggest difference from going from Ohio State where they're, you're the head coach to coaching Team USA? You know, I think – um, the U.S. across organization has been phenomenal. They have, yeah. they have they've been very supportive. But I think anytime you get outside your comfort zone of what your day-to-day routine looks like, people that you work with, you know, every day, yeah, yeah. you know, 40, 50 hours a week, uh, there's a consistency. And I think what I've had to really just take a step back on is, you know, we have these short 24-hour, 48-hour training camps. You've had three or four of them. Yeah. Um, but the influx of all the people, from trainers to sports performance to the men, of, again, making sure we send a consistent message and that we all are on the same page. You know, we do a staff meeting every morning. Uh, I've had conference calls once a week for, you know, almost 16 months. Wow. And, you know, I think the goal of those things, and they've been short, but, you know, again, it's just consistency. Who are we? What are we doing? What's this week? Making sure everybody feels a part of it. It's not Nick Myers or anybody. Believe me, this is Team USA. You know, we all have a role. And I think anytime you coach a national team, even the MLL guys, you know, you have to really define roles. You have limited time together. Here's what we need to accomplish. You know, for our men in our first meeting, we didn't talk about Thursday night. We said, listen, this is our Seattle training camp. What are we yeah. going to do? Get, what's going to define success in the next four days? And I think that for us has really helped in breaking into small parts. Um, and that for us, like I said, to kind of keep everybody organized. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you guys had the the – the little exhibition game down at IMG, uh, and then you went back and watched tape and, and, and you looked at things. What was the one thing that stood out to you uh, as a coach that you need to work on and one thing that stood out that you were pleasantly surprised with? Yeah, well, you know, I think I got a ton of respect uh, for, for Merrick and Taylor and Matt, yeah. you know, Coach Huntley, Coach Snyder, those guys I've known for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they do an incredible job, so I think, Unknown was how well those kids will be coached. And I think for me, you know, walking away from that, um, their attack is, is exceptional. You know, I think yeah. the strength of their team, they have an incredible draw, man. Ironically, Justin's going to be a Buckeye. Um, <laughs> yeah. He signed a letter of intent. So, you know, <laughs> I got three Buckeye. I got more Buckeyes in Canada than we do Team USA. But you know, I think taking my Ohio State hat off. Look yeah. back four years ago, and this was a one or two goal game, and the USA dominated the faceoff X. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so here's here we come around this time, and and they got a guy who's as good as anybody in the country at the dot. Um, so that's a that's a that's a big concern, you know. And mm-hmm. I think secondly, uh, when you talk about the international rules, is their attack. I mean, I think Pete and Walker uh, are two guys that you know 
you know, they showed in the Under Armour game two nights ago. You know, our kids yeah. were watching that here in Seattle. I mean, they're 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 special. And so I think four years ago they had the Kings and the Tuttons, uh, the Birds of the world. They were probably a little bit more athletic in the midfield this this mm-hmm. time around. I think they have good midfielders, but I do think that attack is is elite. So I think the face off and the attack. We looked at those two areas. Those are areas we really got to be buttoned up. Um, things that I was impressed with, you know, I thought. <clears throat> For us, our ability to, you know, just just be unselfish. I didn't think there was a lot of selfish play. I thought the guys were really, you know, made the one more passes. Um, we did a pretty good job on the ground, you know, and we were up we were up nine five going into the fourth quarter. So I thought yeah. for three quarters we played really well. You know, I think that was a positive. I think the disappointment was the last twenty minutes of that game, and you know, both teams were rotating guys and substituting guys and evaluating guys still. But I think for us to walk away and say, hey, we played three really good quarters. Uh, we, we can take that as a, as a huge positive. Um, but the international rules are something that we're still learning, you know, and I yeah. think that's something that, again, we, we know we got to spend a little bit more time with as well. You, you spoke of earlier about not listening to what other people are saying and just focus on our mission of how we can be the best. Is that um, the thing that people are saying is, uh, you know, USA going for their eighth straight, they've never lost this tournament and all that kind of hyperbole and hype around it. Is that, is that a thought process that, that is in your locker room or do you guys try to wipe that out? Yeah. Well, I think there's been a lot. I mean, you got the, you got a lot of that talk. You got the, you know, again, the, there was an article written last week that picked Canada to win it. Um, you know, kind of challenged our kids with some pointed comments, you know, I think. So you have both extremes. You have mom and dad that are coming over to rent a house that think we're going to go out there and roll the ball out and just win that have no yeah. idea. You know, <laughs> you got yeah, experts yeah. that, you know, think that we should just, you know, eight straight, you know, it's going to happen. And then you got mm-hmm. the other side of the coin, which, you know, is, listen, I, I feel like we're crossing that border as the underdog. And I said that with our men. I said, at the end of the day, the last three championships have gone to Canada. Yeah, Let's not exactly. forget that. The yeah. women, you know, the senior known. So I think for our kids, it's like, hey, we're going across an international border. We're yeah. playing an away game on their home court. And they got the belt. And I yeah. think that's what we've shared with our guys. Is, hey, listen, we, we need to play with that type of urgency. We need to play with that kind of chip on our shoulder. And that's been the message from us. Let's make yeah. it about us. Let's not worry about Canada or Iroquois or England or Australia. we got to go out there and play USA lacrosse. Yeah. Understand it's a long this tournament. And, and you know you've been around this. It's not about Thursday night. No. Yeah, <laughs> I know. About, you know, getting better every day. And I think that was the message of practice today. As I thought practice today, we were a little sharper than we were yesterday. I said, man, this is a battle. You know, you know, we're going to take great care of our bodies. You know, this thing is not going to be won and lost on Thursday night. Thursday night is going to be a big game, though. Like, there's going to be a lot of nerves. There's going to be a lot of excitement sure. and, and everything built up around that. And, and, and it's unfortunate that you have to go through the um, the opening ceremony first so your kids are kind of waiting around a bit. But as a coach, how do you get your guys to stay focused and prepared for that opening game with everything that's surrounding it? Well, I think you just, like you said, I think you try to diffuse some of the things that aren't going to impact the game at all. You know, let's not talk about, you know, Canada. Let's not talk about, you know, how, how important this game is. Let's not talk about, you know, mom in the crowd or this or that. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about ground ball play. Let's talk about getting on offense. Let's talk about recognition defensively, you know. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's really try to think about winning the first quarter. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the message in the locker room is, is let's, let's boil this down into the things that really matter right now. You know, yeah, there's a lot of emotion. The anthem's going to come on. There's a lot of things and distractions all around us. But at the end of the day, a world championship's going to be decided on who picks up more ground balls, you know, who picks up, who has the ability to put the ball in the back of the cage when the opportunities are there, and who can make stops. 
You yeah. know, I think if we if we really focus on those things and we take it one quarter at a time, I think we're going to be in great shape. Uh, you've kind of pointed to a couple of Canadian guys that you're going to have to be wary of, but um, not to give a scouting report for all the other five teams in your division, but who are some guys that, that fans might want to keep out, keeping out for in uh, the red, white, and blue? Uh, well, you know, I think it, we really like the balance of our team. You know, okay. I think this is not a team that has, you know, a, a superstar per se. And I, and I would tell you if we did, I really think um, the guys are looking around at each other and feeling like anybody, any one guy could go off. Uh, and I think that's an exciting thing. So, um, we talked a little bit over the staff about guys that, that we feel like we know we want to have the ball in. But on the offensive end, you know, a guy like Timmy Kelly is a guy who just came off a national championship with Carolina. I think he's got great poise. You know, we're going to play him in a little bit of attack and midfield. Uh, Simon Mathias is a guy that was the leading scorer for my brother at Penn this year. Nice. Uh, left the attack with big body. You know, and then uh, a guy like maybe a Ryan Conrad, you know, in the midfield, pretty athletic, midi two-way guy. Uh, defensively, Jack Rowlett uh, and Pat Foley, you know, both had great years. Started One started at Hopkins, one started at Carolina. Nice, uh, yeah. Both strong. And I think guys with the face-off X, you know, as I said with Justin, we have Christian Feliziani and Austin Hennigan. Austin was a kid who played in the, who lost the national championship game, but was a yeah. 60% guy from Maryland. Oh, wow. So, you know, those are four or five guys for us that I think are going to probably set the tone in a lot of ways. Um, the Goldie thing is something that we're going to kind of see how things play out. You know, I think yeah. Thursday night for us is still figuring out who we are, you know, in, yeah. in terms of the, the cage and the, and the X. And as much as you want to win Thursday, make no mistake, we also need to find out more about who we are, you know. And yeah. I think the only way you do that is by playing guys and, sure. you know, step back and evaluate some things. Um, before I let you go, obviously, with your ties to Ohio State, and you have a lot of ties to, to guys across the border, especially recently, a lot of guys have, especially from BC, that have gone down there. But uh, there's this conversation going on about American coaches and how they love Canadian box across players. What for you is the biggest trait that Canadian kids bring to the field game? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we made a commitment almost 15 years ago. You know, I think Ohio State's a school. We take a lot of pride in that. You know, we haven't, mm-hmm. you know, just made a phone call or two and tried to pick a guy here or there. I mean, we've invested with, with people. You know, I've gone yeah. up there. I spend a week to 10 days every June in, in British Columbia. You know that. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not just going to a camp. It's, it's going to games. It's, it's building. You know, I, I go back to Curtis Smith, one of the first guys I yeah. Yeah. coached. And, you know, Curdy led to, to a guy like, uh, you know, Chris McKay, Ryan Ward. I coached at Butler. And then those are yeah. guys that led to a Jesse King. Um, you know, Joel Delgarno I and mean, Gary Binning was, was reason, the reason why we got Logan Schuss. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, Logan is the reason why Trey LeClaire is going to Ohio State, you know. Yeah. So I think to answer your question there for us, and if you look in Ontario, you know, Brock Sorensen kind of led to Turner Evans, uh, and yeah. Jake Withers, you know, some Peterborough guys. So we've been really fortunate, I think, in not just recruiting, but also building relationships. Mm-hmm. And we're in a relationship business in Ohio State, you know, I, I'd like to think, the Canadians we've had, when you look at the guys I just mentioned, every one of those guys has been captains for us. You know, yeah. these are guys that weren't just great players, but they were leaders. And you can be enamored by guys that come in and are just great goal, goal scorers, et cetera. But, you know, for us, Jake Withers was the player of the year in the conference for face-off X. You know, yeah. coming in next year from, from Hill, Jeff Henrik, defenseman, um, Brock. So we, we, we've gotten guys in a lot of different positions. And I think, like I said, you know, as cliche as it sounds, we feel like we've recruited really good people. You know, Jason mm-hmm. Bloom, the list goes yeah, on. I mean, yeah, I've, yeah. I've been fortunate to coach some, some great guys. And I think going up there and, and being really selective, not only with the with finding a high-caliber player, but a guy that come in your locker room 
yeah. and really bring a different element, you know, because yeah. you get something different from the Baltimore guys, the Midwest guys, the Long Island guys, and I think, you know, blending that is where Ohio State, in my opinion, has been really successful um, over the years, and, and we're excited about that. I think we got three really good ones, you know, the guys on Team Canada, Jeff Henrik, defenseman, uh, Justin Anasio, and then and Trey LeClaire, three guys that we think could all be impact players for us in, in years to come. Well, not to take this the wrong way, but I hope they're bigger impact players for Team Canada over the next 10 days. And <laughs> we'll just we'll just leave it at that. I know you guys are up here for uh, a fantastic week of lacrosse. It's always good to catch up with you, Nick. Um, best of luck. Yeah, right on. And it's, uh, it's going to be a wicked tournament over the next uh, two weeks, and I'm sure we'll see you out there. So thanks for giving us some time, and uh, good luck in preparation. Have some fun. We'll do. Take care. See you, Nick. There he is, Nick Myers, head coach, of Team USA, who will take on Taylor Ray and Team Canada Thursday night after the opening ceremonies out at Town Centre. Again, you can go to 2016worldlax.com for ticket information, for webcast information, for stats, scores, schedule, standings, rosters, all that good stuff. Now, something you've all been waiting for. Uh, This week's dip into... Uncle John's absolutely absorbing bathroom reader. Now this, as I just flipped to on page 431, is one that's very um, apropos for this show. Uh, It's the invention of athlete's foot. That's right, athlete's foot. It was 1928, and the product that really helped athlete's foot come around is one you might know of. It's called Absorbing Junior. And here's the story. Until 1928, Absorbing Junior advertised itself for sore muscles, muscle aches, bruises, burns, cuts, and abrasions. Then, inspired by Listerine's success, they looked for and found a new affliction they could cure, ringworm of the foot. Their masterstroke was making it less scientific sounding. They dubbed it athlete's foot and portrayed it as the secret worry of the upper class. As a result, hardly anyone paid attention to it before Absorbing Junior's ad campaign. Today, it's treated as a bona fide medical condition. The more you know. And finally, the National Lacrosse League unveiled its nominees for Teammate of the Year today. Um, Last year, Joel McCready won it. And he's up for the nomination again. Uh, He was nominated along with Mike Poulin and Andrew Watt of the Buffalo Bandits. Now, every team votes for one player. And then in the pool of nine was then voted on by players league-wide to determine the three finalists. And as mentioned, the finalists were Watt, Poulin, and McCready. The team nominees were those three. Dan Coates from the Mammoth, Kyle Matisse from the Swarm, Derek Suddens from the Black Wolves, Angus Goodleaf from the Night Ox, Tyler Carlson from the Rush, and Brody, uh, Brody Merrill from the Rock. So those are your three finals for that award. Uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, the Air Canada Wingman of the Year finalists will be announced, and that's usually handed out um, to the best passer. So expect any three of... Callum Crawford, Mark Matthews, Sean Evans, Rob Hellyer, Dane Smith, Cody Jamison. Those were your top six passers uh, during the regular season. Again, these are all 
regular season based votes. Um, the ones that we missed last week uh, on Wednesday and Thursday after we did uh, the general manager of the year on Tuesday along with Hall of Fame inductees. Um, 2016 NLL Rookie of the Year finalists, no real surprise. Uh, Randy Stotts, Jesse King, and Wes Berg. I know Stephen Stamp would have loved to have seen um, Rochester's Graham Hossick on there. I can kind of see that. D-Guy's not really getting a lot of love, but for me, Hossick didn't stand out and wasn't better than any of those three. He had a good rookie campaign, but I don't even think he, like he was fantastic. But compared to the years that some of the other rookies had, I didn't see him um, as one of those guys. I might have even had, um, you know, Jordan Gillis is up there. Uh, Chad Tutton's up there. They're, those guys are in the same category as Graham Hossick. Uh, they're the second-tier top rookie guys, but uh, Berg, King, Stotts, top class. And just the year that Randy Stotts had, uh, breaking Reese Dutch's rookie season scoring and point record, uh, natural option to choose him. And then the three finalists for MVP, Dane Smith, Mark Matthews, and Sean Evans. Take your pick, but for me... It's got to go to the Great Dane. Um, as mentioned, Wingman of the Year voting goes tomorrow. Uh, that's Thursday, or at least the nominees. And then Executive of the Year finalists will be announced on Thursday. And then Monday is the final one, or they will announce the winner of the Tom Borelli Award. And then Tuesday, September 27th, all of these awards will be handed out and presented um, during Hall of Fame weekend, where they will announce also who will be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Don't forget, if you want to participate in that and elect somebody to Hall of Fame, you can just go to NLL.com, check out the news tab, and you can submit your picks uh, using the hashtag NLLHOF on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Whew! What a show. Um, thanks for sticking around and staying with me over this ramble of a day. Uh, again, Thursday, the World Under-19s 19 kick, kick off Canada, USA, all-time specific. It's going to be about a 7, 7.30 face-off, depending on how long the opening ceremonies go. Um, SportsCanada.tv for all your webcast needs and 2016WorldLax.com for all your tickets and everything else that you need to know about what to do in Coquitlam, uh, when games are, yada, yada, yada. A very special thank to Cliff Paskus. Uh, thanks to Taylor Ray. Thanks to Nick Myers. And of course, as always, thank you to you for stopping by and listening to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. If you want to get a hold of me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. It's Tuesday. Time to go enjoy the rest of it. Enjoy your week. Take a friend to a game. And if you can, check out some U19s because it is going to be incredible. Still trying to effort the commissioner of the National Lacrosse League, Nick Sikevich, on the show, so we hope to have him. Maybe we'll even check in with somebody from the World Games next week just to get an idea of how things are. That'll do it for another week here on OTCB. We'll talk to you in a week's time. Be excellent to each other.